Hi, this is Dan Sullivan. I'd like to welcome you to the Multiplier Mindset Podcast. I have a very favorite coach, participant, and buddy in the free zone frontier, and this is Norm Dunnigan. And Norm is from an exotic historic site in South Carolina called Aiken. And tell me, because I'm not being facetious here, Aiken's got great, great historic pedigree. It has got a lot of history. I was surprised to find out so much that is here. I used to manage Frito-Lay over in Augusta, Georgia, and Aiken was 23 miles away. And I did everything I could not to go to Aiken. I was really focused where my sales were coming from was Augusta. And then once I was terminated from Frito-Lay, started a business, Dumpster Depot, and it really flourished in Aiken, so much so that I moved and really fell in love with Aiken, learned a lot about the history. As we talk, I hope to get into a little bit about how that a lot of the robber barons used to spend a lot of time in Aiken, South Carolina. And I think a lot of America was probably planned and forged in Aiken, South Carolina. Yeah. And a lot of the southern robber barons made their summer stays in Muskoka, Ontario. They come up there. So the robber barons passed robber barons. (laughs) No, you didn't have any robber barons in the south, did you? (laughs) No. Uh, There are certain coach entrepreneurs who come in that we start talking and then we just keep talking. And Norm is definitely one of them when you came from the signature program to 10 times. I talked to you and I have to tell you this, that it's just something that I've noticed being a northerner from Ohio, that the people from the south, people like Norm, are really, really deceptive because they kind of talk slow and they have a kind of, you know, just sitting out here on the porch and I'm just watching that cloud formation up there. And meanwhile, you want to know if you brought your credit cards and your billfold isn't there, you know, the billfold. And, uh, yeah, nothing to see here. Nothing, to, nothing see. to see here, you know. So, But what I discovered is inside of the very, very courteous manner that Norm has and you know, he's a great person to be with, is a wide awake brain as far as entrepreneurial activities. And Norm, I just want to give a preview of your free zone concept, which is really, really fascinating. And it just shows you how entrepreneurs really are people who put things together that other people wouldn't think of putting together. So I'd just like to talk about the three-way free zone collaboration that you have in Aiken which is really a model that could go right across the United States. Sure. Okay. So just talk about the three components. Then what we're going to do on this call is when he tells you, I'm going to take you back in Norm's life, you know, even before Frito-Lay and actually give you a sense of kind of what you were doing and experimenting with at at earlier times that kind of led you to some of the breakthroughs that you're having right now. Okay, perfect. So first, if it were not for strategic coach, none of this would have been possible because I couldn't get out of my own way running a very complicated business to even have time to do these things. So thank goodness for the concepts and coaching strategies that you've taught us. But where I've gotten to is we have a, a self-serve tap room in Aiken, South Carolina. It's called the Alley Downtown Tap Room. And that really is what got us into the food and beverage business. That success 
made us look for an open building across the street, which we put in Whiskey Alley, which is a exclusive whiskey bar. It's also a five-star restaurant. And then the frustrations of marketing really got us to looking at Freeloader, which is our marketing vehicle that we shuttle people freely through town. But while they're in the shuttle, they get told about the tap room and Whiskey Alley. Yep. So talk about the tap room and try to picture so people can imagine what kind of space it is. What would the dimensions be of the tap room? Because it's a fully automated pub, except for maybe one or two people, maybe one person at a time that you have as staff on it. And you're serving, in some cases, hundreds of people, but you're only doing it with one person. Right. So our goal was to make it be like someone's living room. It's cozy. It's about 1,200 to 1,400 square foot inside. A lot of rich wood grains, leather chairs, game boards, things that would keep you off your cell phone and engage with other people that are enjoying the tap room. The beauty of this, that seems like a small place, but before we opened the tap room, we worked with a local government to get the alleyway where you could have open containers. So there's nothing to have 300 bands out at one time. And bands are the wristbands that you get when you come and check into the tap room. With that band, you're able to walk up to the beer wall. The beer wall is 35 feet long. It has 48 varieties of craft beer and wine. Also some non-alcoholic beverages as well. But you are free to pour as little or as much as you want, up to 32 ounces. And it allows people to, instead of spend $8 on a glass of beer that they may not even like, they're able to sample till they find one they do like and then fill their glass and enjoy their company, which are the other patrons. And one of them is Hoot Up, Hoot Up Beer. Actually, that was an idea of yours that I ran with where I went to one of our, and who was one, I think, of our better brewers and asked them to brew up a beer that was around 10% alcohol. Uh, 10.4, actually. 10.4%. So once we put that on, and it has the backstory that I'm in strategic coach, we really sold the story of the beer. That beer has not come off one of our top beers since we placed it on, which says a lot because we pretty much look at who are the performers and who are the non-performers, and we delete the non-performers. So it says a lot that Hoot Up is still one of the best. I have to tell a story. This came from a 10 times concept, which is Hoot Up Hours. And I said, if you're hooing up all these hours, then you should enjoy a nice brew. I said, so why don't you create a beer for Strategic Coach? And Norm actually brought us samples to the workshop. And I have to tell you, I'm a great Belgian beer fan, dark Belgian beer. And it is a great, great beer. But I told them, you know, I mean, if you're going to go through the bother and actually create a beer for me, kind of start at 10% because (laughs) that kind of means that you're serious about your beer experience. I mean, so anyway, he did. And it was a great beer. And I'm going to start bringing it to my home in Chicago. I love it. So if I had a stamp right now, I would say this is Dan Sullivan approved. Dan Sullivan approved. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. The interesting thing about this is the sheer volume of beer that you actually sell and the sheer number of customers you have and the terrific traffic that you have and one person. 
one person. So the conversation to start this happened in a 10X workshop where I was kind of frustrated with not being able to 10X Dumpster Depot because of the sheer amount of money that it would take. But the tap room is one where we were able to reduce labor by 10%, reduce shrink by 10%, but reduce profits by 10%. So everything fit with what we are taught at Strategic Coach. And to be able to put it on paper in a workshop and then go execute it was really exciting for me. Yeah. But you are correct. We run most of the time with one person running the entire place. On really busy nights, we'll bring in a second person to assist. But the cool thing is that second person is mostly just changing kegs throughout the night. That's how fast we run through beer. Yeah. Is there food there? So we chose not to have a kitchen, not to have the extra labor. And what we do is we have a free food zone, which basically in the alley, there are six restaurants and people can bring food from any of those and enjoy it in our restaurant while they have our beer. Yeah, that's really terrific. So talk me through the second idea because you're jumping up in quality, you're jumping up in class, you're jumping up in ambience with the second one. And South Carolina being where it is and with heaters, you can go right around the calendar, can't you? With Absolutely. Yeah. We've got nine great months, three are a little bit cold, but with heaters, we're able to use our outdoor space mostly year round. So across the street, a building became available. We did want to step up and we were looking at beer we saw was a 70 margin product. And I was curious if there was anything higher and <laughs> liquor is 80% margin. So we knew that that would be something interesting. In the state of South Carolina, you have to have a full kitchen to sell liquor. Yes. So we found a great chef who was trained up in the Northeast, had worked with some really exclusive people. So we thought that we would pair the amazing liquors with some amazing food. And you hear that restaurants run a 10 margin. We're running 80 margin on food and liquor, and it's just because we can. You had said one time before, you don't get to complain about the game you play because you created the game. Mm -hmm. And that's true. But when you create the game in a strategic coach workshop and then go out and execute it, boy, what a fun game. So that's what we chose to do with Whiskey Alley. We have liquors that you really just simply can't find mm -hmm. anywhere else. One of the ones we pride ourselves is Pappy Van Winkle. There yeah. are five selections of Pappy. I want to tell you that I've been searching for a source of that particular whiskey for 15 years and I said, gee, I wonder if Norm can get me a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. And he said, you tell anybody I'm going to kill you. So I'm probably going to get, <laughs> you know, I'm going to have somebody visit me. And we got, and it's just the greatest bourbon in the world. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just amazing. I mean, this goes in Japan and China for some places, $10,000 a bottle. And that comes from the oldest brewery in the United States. I think Van Winkle and that family, the family that, Van Winkle brand came out of that family. I think it's one of the oldest, certainly oldest distilleries in the United States. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you have whiskeys there that just aren't available anywhere else. That's another one of your secrets. That's right. We try to make sure that we have what you can't find anywhere else. By specializing in whiskey, anyone who's a connoisseur of whiskey is going to find us. And that was another concept that is taught at Coach. And, yeah. and I believe that's our free zone is... People look for us instead of us looking for guests. Yeah. 
Now here's the trifecta here. So he's got a tap room, tremendous amount of traffic. What are the hours there for, because you do have alcohol, so there's probably some hours there. So at the tap room, we're open at noon and we close around 10 on weekdays and then weekends we're open till midnight. Yeah. And that was on purpose. I did not want drunk people. I wanted for someone to come in, have a good time and then go somewhere else if they want to get drunk. So that was important to me. And that's the 32 ounce limit is part that's of right. that too. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And they have their band and when their band is empty, they're off to someplace else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And I'm proud of that. I'm really proud that we chose that we were going to be more of an experience than a place to get drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same yeah. with Whiskey Alley. We close at 10. You know, that's not common for a bar to close that early. But what we want is for families to come out, for people to come out, enjoy themselves with a really nice whiskey, and then take it somewhere else if they want to. Yeah. This is the linchpin of the success of the first two. So tell them a little bit about congestion and parking in Aitken, because it's actually a very popular magnet for people to come. The background is that there were huge, huge horse farms in Mm -hmm. Aitken, and there's mansions to go along with the horses. And so this is a real go-to spot in South Carolina. It's close to Augusta, and it's close to Atlanta, so it's easy access. Right. And... It's a smaller downtown area, so they don't allow a parking garage. They want to keep the allure of the small southern town. But as population grows, there simply is not enough parking. So people complain about not having parking. And all of our businesses are right downtown Aiken. We want to keep easy access to those. So what we did was we started a downtown shuttle. It's called Freeloader. And people can either text or use the app to request uh, pick up. We pick them up and we move them around town anywhere they want to go. It doesn't have to be to our restaurants. Most people don't even know about our restaurants. They see the app when they come into town, they use it. And while there, we just recommend the best place in town to eat or the best time in town, which is the tap room. Oh, so yeah. it gives us a chance to, without pressure, suggest to people to try our two places to entertain themselves. It wouldn't be fair for them to leave town without actually having these two experiences, would it? I would pay for them too. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this is you control who the drivers are. You control what the script is that they're saying on the thing. And they just happen to mention your two venues. Now, you know, I'm really, really looking for, you know, when I see any breakthrough in the free zone frontier. So picture this, we've got upwards right now, 45 to 50 individuals who've signed up for this. And there has to be collaboration. So a lot of Norm's collaboration is actually with the town of Aiken, South Carolina. He's actually created a magnet with the town of Aiken, South Carolina. And these would be all the officials in South Carolina. They know about you. So Talk about the collaboration you're creating where you're really not so much needed in Aitken, South Carolina, but in hundreds and hundreds of similar sized towns, cities, little cities actually across the United States, where if they had your trifecta in the middle of that, it would be a magnet and would pull people into towns that have been more or less abandoned for 
malls and for going to the metro cities. So can you talk about that concept? Because you'll know it when you do a second one. That's what I feel here. Right. So you're so right when you say that it is a magnet for the town. Our town has lost a mall, just like a lot of small towns in America. And just as companies compete, so do states, so do counties, and so do cities. So what we're trying to do is to create a model that can be replicated and inserted into any small town and let it be the thing that allows their people to go out and enjoy their small town without having to go to a larger city. And the technology in the tap room, people are drawn to that because people want to feel like they're staying up with technology and they want to experience new technology. And this is definitely new technology in our town. It'll be new technology for a a good while to come. We are moving into Augusta. That one is being opened as we're having this conversation. And that is going to be our next move. And if we can duplicate it as we know we can, then we're talking to Mainstream America. And this is actually the organization Mainstream America. You know? mm-hmm. So talk to them. And you're on the main platform this summer, mm-hmm. probably virtually, probably virtually. <laughs> Maybe, which would Maybe. actually even be better, would it not? Yeah. So we're going to get the opportunity to speak to every town who is a member of Main Street, South Carolina. I think it was like 3,000, you were telling me. Mm-hmm. That's right. In that, somewhere yeah. in that neighborhood, yeah. So there's another concept taught at Strategic Coach is always be the buyer. So this is an opportunity to where that I get to talk about what we can do for a small town, and then they're going to come to us and tell us what they have to make it good for us. So we're really excited about the opportunity to talk in front of Main Street America. Because I am happy with what we've done. It is going to be really good to have a second one in place and running before we go so that we can show the model does duplicate and then really be able to sit back and be the buyer as towns each come to us and see who wants to be more or less compete to have your model. Correct. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. So let's dial back time a little bit here, Norm, and talk about where you knew that you were an entrepreneur, that there was no other possibility except being an entrepreneur. And since it's a life sentence, you might as well enjoy the trip. (laughs) You know, being a business owner was something that I've been thinking about as I would sit in class and daydream. And it was really good confirmation that a schoolmate reached out to me after they'd seen some of the things that we've been doing lately. And in the comment section, he wrote, I always knew you'd be an entrepreneur because it's all you talked about as a kid. And that's interesting because my dad was a vice president of a union and my mother was a convenience store manager. But every time I spent time with my mother in the convenience stores, the guy who owned them would come in for a few minutes and leave. And I was always just intrigued by this person because he had several. He didn't have just one. And I have to think back that that person had influence on my life because that's the only, no one else in my family was a business owner. It certainly wasn't because of the talk at home because my father was not a fan of business ownership, still is not today but I think it's in my DNA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we all have R&D along the way. You know, I've got someone who's just one of the great 
intellectual property lawyers in the United States, John Farrell, and he's right out of Silicon Valley. And he said, you know, we always tell a better story than we actually played. So we all have stumbles, we have failures. So what was the period like before, you know, you really, really hit success with Dumpster Depot, but I've got my bankruptcies, I've got my very lean quarters, very lean years in my background. So what was yours like? Well, my first business was at 19. It failed within the first year. The second business was when I was 20, turning 21. It failed within the first year. (laughs) And then I had a really great business at 23, and it was called Doc Socks. And so my wife had had a baby, and I was in the hospital, and she was in the bed with her foot sticking out, and she had a sock on that they placed on her foot and had tread on the bottom. And I thought, huh. So I asked the nurse, and she said everyone who was admitted to the hospital got a pair of those socks. And so I thought, well, heck, I could do that. So I went out and sourced the socks, found someone to puff ink the bottom of them. I had 11 hospitals buying these things from me and, and had a little confidence. So I ordered three container loads of socks so that I could reduce my cost. And while one of those container ships was on the way over, I got a letter in the mail. It was a cease and desist order from a company called MedTreads who had a patent on this. And I didn't know anything about patents. Anyways, that put me into bankruptcy. I went to an attorney and said, I think we should just keep selling. And he said, they're one of the largest companies in America. I think you should stop selling socks. The money borrowed to buy those socks was from my wife's parents. So that was a very painful experience. I went into submission for a little bit there. That's when I went to work for first Coke and then Frito-Lay. But after I was terminated from Frito-Lay, I started the fourth business, which was Dumpster Depot. But imagine my wife, after three failed businesses, for me to say, honey, I have a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but she supported it. and. Thank goodness that she did because that business was successful enough that it kept me self-employed into Strategic Coach. And that's where... And that's a fabulously profitable business, isn't it? I mean, this is waste management. I mean, you have waste management, but I remember Norm came to the coach workshop last summer. Was it last summer or last fall when the hurricane came through? Hmm. I lose track of time, but it was definitely last year. Yeah. Right after a hurricane. Yeah, it might have been September. So Norm came in and we had talked about this, about, you know, the weather, the weather conditions along the eastern seaboard and then the Gulf of Mexico. And I said, you're feeling guilty right now, aren't you, Norm? You're feeling guilty about <laughs> this last week, aren't you? He says, I got to admit it, I really, truly do love a great hurricane. Because <laughs> <laughs> hurricanes produce a lot of waste to be managed. And then you have another aspect is that you have a plywood business because everybody needs plywood. You know, the roofs go off, the doors go off, the windows go off. So you have a steady supply of plywood. And then you have Johnny on the spots, you know, because they have to be repaired and going to have to have portable toilets. And the other thing is, if people aren't eating at home, they're probably eating at two establishments or at least one establishment in Aitken, South Carolina. 
<laughs> Hearing you say it makes me smile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we really try to vertically integrate. We get paid to take away the waste, and then we take the waste, and we get paid to move it on down the line. So it is extremely profitable, and it's definitely the engine that we use for some spewing off some cash to do a lot of the other fun things we're working yeah. with. Yeah. Now, you've really bought into the who, not how concept. Oh, boy, yeah. Can you talk about that? Because you provide an opportunity for ownership with your businesses. So you, can you talk about this? Of course. That was another great concept that we learned to coach. And the thing, obviously, owning 11 businesses, you're just one person and only so much can be done in a day. So who, not how? Well, it's inevitable. Anyone who wants to move beyond running the one business they have, they have to depend on other people. But for us, what we're able to do is go out and look for young talent, people who have passion and ability. And then we're able to put in place either the knowledge or the management style that we've learned through building teams at Strategic Coach. And so we can almost ensure anyone's success. If they can come in and do the thing they do, that they have their unique ability, then we use our unique ability layered with theirs to just ensure their success. And we're always looking, people who are current employees who have an entrepreneurial desire, will look at their business model. Anyone in town who thinks that they would like to work with us, we welcome them to come and pitch to us what they think they would like to do. And we'll see if the margins are where we want them to be. And and if the need is in the marketplace. Yeah. In this last part of the interview, I'm going to talk about the current situation with, you know, the virus and how it hit you, you know, the shutdown, essentially the shutdown of the economy mm-hmm. and how you've flipped that in a matter of a couple of weeks. And everybody is fascinated with the thinking that's going on, especially among the entrepreneurs in the free zone frontier about how they're approaching it. And it's very, very different from the, the world you hear reported in the news. Yeah. You know, I have to start this segment by just simply saying that I'm like every other small business person. I told you the one put me into bankruptcy. So I wanted five businesses and five market segments so that I would never have to worry about being bankrupt again. And then this virus comes and we are legislated to close businesses. It has affected every business. And I never thought that I would have anything that would do that. So fear is the first thing that enters the mind. But we have been doing these free zone calls. And from the first free zone call, it has been like a shot of confidence because you're sharing with an entrepreneurs that are going through the same things you are, and you're hearing real-world solutions that people are putting into place. And I also shared on the last free zone call is that this community has stood beside me and given me wonderful ideas and given me support to where that, that I have nothing but confidence going through this crisis now. Dean Jackson recommended that since we pull from a different supply chain than grocery stores to think about having an online market through our restaurant. And so within two and a half days, we actually were able to be not only a takeout restaurant, but supply the hard to get things that people couldn't get in the grocery stores, like toilet paper, like bleach. The things that people couldn't find were easily procured by us and sold online and 
at the front door. So that was one exciting thing. And then Tony Cobble from Free Zone also reached out and said, hey, I was thinking of doing virtual whiskey tastings and you were the natural person for me to reach out to. And boy, not only is this giving me confidence, but it's giving me excitement too to think that we're able to bring in hundreds, thousands of people, educate them on whiskey, raise some money. And the exciting thing is the largest whiskey distributor in the world is called Sazerac. I reached out to Sazerac. They want to step beside of us and match dollar for dollar every dollar we raise for charity. Yeah. So, you know, that's just two of the ways. There are many more, but I got to say thank you to the coach community. Yeah. Well, it's a wonderful thing then, you know, I mean, Warren Buffett has an interesting line that I think he dropped during the 08, 09 downturn. And he said, you know, it's not until the tide goes out that you discover who's been swimming naked. (laughs) But one of the things that I've noticed is that in society, when things are normal, you have people, this leader and that leader and that leader and that leader. And what you find out is that they're only leaders for normal times. They're not actually leaders for scary times. Hmm. And what I notice is that what emerges in scary times are two types of leaders. There's people who can actually do things, you know, like truck drivers are at the top of the social ladder right now, and people who can stock supermarkets and people who can be cashiers in supermarkets and people who are delivery people and everything else. And then there's all the trades where these things are still required when the the economy is essentially shut down. But one of the things that I really find is that if you look at a really confident person who's creating a new solution during scary times, odds are very, very high that they're an entrepreneurial business owner. And that, you know, for us, Norman, I'd like you to comment on this, that the normal life of an entrepreneur would be scary to someone who's not an entrepreneur. <laughs> yes. So my sense is that when scary times happen, it's not like a big shift for us. It's just a matter of degrees. And it's actually got some advantages. It's got some advantages. And we just came off a Zoom call that you were on with five other free zone entrepreneurs. And it was remarkable how upbeat and how inventive and how positive everybody was on that call. Yeah, you're dead right. I've often said that if people had the amount of stress that I have by 8 a.m., they would just be cowered in a corner somewhere. I mean, it's, you're right. It's our normal is a little different than other people's normal. I think a lot of it has to do with us being able to draw from the people around us. Mm -hmm. Just like you said, the five people on the call, there wasn't one of them that was scared of the future. There were some that had questions. And what I love is that they had people just surround them and give them support and direction on what they thought they might do. Yeah. And the other one, which I found really interesting, two of them said, this is just a really great time to be hiring great people. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I mean, just totally counter to oh, yeah. uh, the general narrative that we're getting. Well, this has been a real treat spending an hour with you, Norm. And I just want to tell you the tremendous good that you're doing, not only in the town where you first experimented with these concepts, but I think within a five, 10 year period, 
you're going to bring amazing life back to hundreds of Main Street downtowns of small, medium-sized cities right across the United States. Because I think that with the world the way that it is, I think there's a lot of action that's going to be coming back to the United States. And there's going to be a general turnaround for outside of big city life in the United States. I think there's a lot of industry coming back. And I think you've got a winning formula for being part of this next decade in the United States. Well, on behalf of my whole team, I want to thank you and your team for what you guys have instilled in us. I think you're dead right that the United States is on the verge of a second boom. And the information that you're giving us is vital. So keep up the research. Okay, Norm, we're going to package this and we're going to get it out to the entire coach community. We'll supply contact information of our open hours and, you know, well, thanks. information like that. And I'm sure you'll get some requests of coach clients because they're spread out over 50 states and most of them don't live in big cities. They live in other communities. So you'll probably get some requests to get the information on how your winning formula can come to their town. I welcome the calls. Thanks for the opportunity, Dan. Thank you, Norm.